you have a strength. Every single person is created with strengths. Now, they might not be traditional strengths or ones that are celebrated. I mean, there's definitely strengths that are celebrated culturally and in the American way. But I guarantee you, everybody listening has specific strengths. So you have to just embrace those and get to know those. And in a few years, when you're interviewing for your first job, you're going to be light on experience. You're going to be either doing a Zoom or a phone call with someone like me. And I'm asking, tell me about yourself. And you're not really going to be able to say all the amazing things that you've done yet because you're 21, 22, and you know you don't have that many years behind you. But you can tell me about how I'm really great at analytical skills or have great strategy approach, or I really feel like empathy is a strong gift of mine. And that's why it fits in this particular role. You have to be able to tell a narrative. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. This show is for current and aspiring leaders that are dedicated to showing up every day in their lives with excellence. We break down the careers of those excelling so you can understand what is out there and how to rise up in every field you choose. Let's get the show on the road, shall we? Your host has spent his life promoting global entrepreneurship, helping 20-somethings find their passion and working to help others achieve excellence. CEO of CollegeWorks, Matt Stewart. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence podcast. On today's show, we have Daniel Whitaker. Danielle has two daughters and a family, and they live in southern Wisconsin. She runs a talent acquisition business focused in the construction industry, but working in many industries. She earned a BA in sociology because she wanted to be a social worker, ended up getting a master's in mental health counseling, still following that path and now flourishes in another, another industry. Danielle's gonna talk about developing the skills and looking for that serendipitous crossover because you don't need to have your path right now. You need to be moving in the direction of a path. And Danielle worked as a TGIF waitress in preparation for being a business founder and a talent acquisition agent. Danielle's going to talk about the Occupational Outlook Handbook, where you can go look at all sorts of different careers. She's going to talk about the Strength Finder Test, and she's going to talk about being humble, open to improving, and open to growing. Welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Well, Danielle Whitaker, welcome to the Edge of Excellence. Thank you so much for making time in your busy day to come join us. Thanks, Matt. I'm super excited to have the conversation today. Not as excited as all the people listening right now, and they want to start off hearing what your definition of excellence is. All right. So I'm sure there's a million and one clinical definitions, and I did refrain from Googling it. So that was an exercise in self-control. I think to me, excellence is so subjective. It's one of those things that you're going to know it when you are in it or when you're experiencing it. And so much of it is just I think of the word of flourishing, like, you know, you're being excellent and you're just like flourishing in the, in the zone or flow, if you will. So someone is achieving excellence when they are flourishing in whatever they're doing. Yeah, I think so. I think it's very global. You know, you could be excellent at work. And if you're really yeah, just crumbling at home, it becomes, it's just not really truly flourishing. So being excellent would just be in just different aspects of your life, relationally, work life, um, 
personal, all of those things. So you don't think that you can be excellent at work if and flourishing at work if you're not flourishing in your home life. If things are going wrong with relationships or things are going bad, it's going to affect you and your excellence at work. Standalone, you could be excellent in a particular thing. I don't think it all has to be tied together. But I do think that if you aren't flourishing relationally and personally, it is very difficult to bring your best to work, right? So... Yeah, there's a professor at UNC. His name's Dr. Bell. He uh, he teaches a lot about uh, leadership. And I went to one of his workshops and his entire first day of the workshop is about listening. Mm. And as we mm-hmm. got it, as we got into our leadership workshop, uh, many people make the argument that if you're going to be flourishing at work, you can't have things falling apart at home because it's going to carry into work. If you're if you've got things going on at home, it may dampen your listening skills. So if you've got a kid that's listening to the show right now and they're having issues with their significant other or you've got someone that graduated from college two years ago and something's going wrong with their money situation and they're fully stressed out, how would they be able to flourish at work and almost make it so that their supervisors or coworkers wouldn't notice the damage so they could continue to be seen as uh, performing at that excellent flourishing level? Hmm. That is an interesting question. I mean, so much of it's going to be contextual. I think the number one thing is if, you, if you're a student or you're, if you're a parent and right now you have a struggling a graduate or student, part of it's just to stop and acknowledge the problem. It has been quite the year and even at our best there are challenges that we have to respond to. So I think the first step is just admitting that you need some help. And it could be, then it's all on the continuum, how much help you might need. Um, and speak to trusted friends and family members and make a small step towards getting something in the right direction. And I think that it's uh, that, that you look at life in the scope of life. You look at what's going on in the scope of long term. If you look at any individual day, I'm not excellent at everything every day. I might have been horrible. at. I gave a speech in Kansas. It was the worst speech I ever gave. It was the only speech I gave on Sunday. That day on Sunday in Kansas, I was not flourishing at work, but I was still excellent. I just didn't happen to be at that moment. So maybe mm-hmm. long term, mm-hmm. if things are falling apart, it's going to affect you. Short term, you might be able to get over it. So there's people that have depression. They've got COVID issues going on. It's creating depression. Long term, that's going to create a dampener on their excellence. Short term, they can get over it. But like you say, they need to go deal with their issue to maintain their excellence. Would that be right? Yeah. I, you know, to me, I think that's the big the struggle in your 20s is to really find out so much of who you are and how you tick. But then you also only have X amount of years behind you. And as you age, you have the benefit of, like you said, the understanding of the long game and the longevity of it. You know, one bad exam, or if you bomb a presentation, or if you don't get that mark or that internship or whatever it was in college, is a big deal, not diminishing that it is. But then the longer that you go, you realize there's just a string of opportunities and a string of things that can go either way. And so it kind of just breathes some perspective into what you're experiencing on on the daily. And I'll diminish it. You get an F on a test, 
who cares? You're going to live 130 years. Go take the class again. Take the test again. You shouldn't freak out about that. Your family, your parents get a divorce. That's going to throw you for a loop yeah. for a bit. And that's okay. It's okay to be thrown for a loop for a bit. And then you find your way. And I personally have experienced depression when we had a death on, on a, one of our job sites. And it, it, huh. it depressed me. And, and man, I even feel bad about saying that because look what it did to the family. I mean, I shouldn't even say anything about myself. Um, and I knew that I needed to get through it. I knew I needed to deal with it. I knew I needed to do whatever I could to help the industry prevent it from ever happening again. And, you know, I wasn't myself, but eventually I got through it. And in the long term, I've honored Brad Hilberg. And in the long term, we've done a lot to change the industry. And in the long term, I feel good about how I handled it. At the time, I was anything but excellent for a period of time. And that's mm -hmm. a, that's an example of as bad as it can go. Mm -hmm. Flunking a test or breaking up with your girlfriend, that's not the same thing. But you still are going to dip for a little bit. And you may not flourish, but you need to get your stuff together to maintain that flourishing excellence. Okay, I got it. I understand. So you're excellent, Danielle. You've been excellent for a long time. You've done a lot of things. You've got a couple of degrees. Uh, let's go way, 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 way back. And thank goodness we're not using video so people can't tell that you're actually super young compared to me. But if we go way back <laughs> to high school, like at least a decade ago, uh, what was life like? How did you see yourself? How'd you find your path? Oh, frighteningly, uh, my 20 year high school reunions next year. So that's right around the corner. I think how I would describe myself in high school. I was well liked, but not popular, um, overachieving, definitely not athletic. I actually joined the badminton team. That's a whole, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. Um, I was on the model United Nations team that kind of gives you a window into the level of nerdum that had occurred in high school. But yeah, I just was I loved people. I loved um, the social aspect of high school, but I definitely loved achieving. I loved learning um, and performing well. So that was really fun for me in high school. So what is the difference between well-liked and popular? I feel like that is, yeah. Uh, I wasn't uh, going to parties on the weekend necessarily. I was a small groups kind of person. Um, but I think everyone probably know. I, I, I grew up in Schaumburg, which is a big suburb in, in Chicago. And so there was like 2000 kids at my high school. So it was a fairly big high school. So most people would know me, but I wasn't necessarily a cool kid, if you will. I don't know if you're listening, you know, you know, the difference between if you're popular, popular and well liked. I mean, you know, I don't I don't think so. I don't think so. Because I think as I look back at my high school, I think, oh, I wasn't that popular. Then I find out that everybody thought I was popular except for me. Um, I think wow, that there's a weird and, and you've got the degree in this. I don't. I think that there's a weird misinterpretation in high school of what mm. matters and who we really are. My daughter always tells me she has no friends. OK, then who are the eight people that just showed up at our house yesterday? And I think people beat themselves up a little bit in high school and they don't think they're as popular. And then you go ask the most popular person. That person doesn't think they're as popular ever either. So well liked. That's good enough for me. Um, you know, are you leading the uh, uh, the team of people going out TPing and getting obliterated on the weekend? Well, that doesn't make you popular. That makes you fun um, and maybe fun in a bad way. Uh, so you can be fun and not popular. You can be nerdy on the debate team and think you're not popular. I talked to a, I had a kid call me up. My brother's helping him get a job in tech and he's a friend of mine's nephew. 
And the kid, my brother sends it back to me. He calls me up and he says, yeah, my, your brother told me to talk to you about networking. I hear you're good at networking. I said, I'm not good at networking. I don't even know what networking it is. You know what I am? I'm a good friend. So I'm talking mm -hmm. to you because I'm friends with your uncle, but you don't know this. Four years ago, I went to Africa with this kid. He didn't know I was the guy in Africa with him. I said, you went to the same school as my son. My son was a freshman. You were a senior. My wife used to come back and tell me how cool you were to her and my son. And I haven't forgotten that. So I'm talking to you on the phone, not because you're a good networker, but because you're a good person. You've done yes. good things. And if yes. you're a nice friend and you do favors for people, people might call it networking. I call it being a nice friend. And then people want to do things back. So I bet you, Danielle, you were popular. I didn't think I was popular. I think I might have been somewhat popular, probably less popular than you. You just didn't follow the mainstream activities that you thought people liked, but you were well liked. So I think you were probably popular. And I think you have that same high school issue that I have. Make sense or no? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think we still categorize it in really like black and white terms. Was I a good friend? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you leave high school with maybe even one or two solid relationships, that that's an amazing accomplishment. I mean, the, st the stats now of how many close friends we have as adults are, are low. Just one or two in your lifetime. And that's a good accomplishment. I mean, high school, what I loved about it, too, is um, that's kind of you know, I know that, we'll, you know, we're here to talk a lot about career. It was probably around 15 years old. That's when I was uh, introduced to our high school guidance counselor. And we had social workers on staff as well. And it was around like 15 or 16 when I was introduced to our social worker. I was a peer mentor. And also, I mean, listen, my parents were on the back end of a fairly messy divorce. And so to me, all of a sudden I recognized the need for support. And so I was like, that's it. I'm going to be a people helper. I want to be a social worker. And so I felt really fortunate to have those great experiences in high school to kind of be pointed in that direction. So you're in high school, you're super duper duper popular, even though you don't think so. Mm -hmm. uh, you, uh, you run into some professional who impresses you and they're in the social working industry and you kind of find your path. And so oftentimes people don't find a path and they're all worried because their parents are saying, go to college. And the college is saying, get a major. And their friends are saying, you better figure this out in four years. And I think that's kind of impossible. There's better ways to do it. Uh, you get lucky. You run into someone that's doing something that not everybody knows about social work. I mean, everybody knows about the things on TV, what their parents do. You find something off on the side, which is, I think, kind of lucky. You find out it's your your gig. So what did you do from high school to college to make sure you were able to follow that path instead of being a dreamer, wanting that job? Uh, what did you do as a doer to make sure you would end up getting that job? Yeah, I think I, I worked for sure all through high school. I was a first generation going to college kid. So for me, I know I needed to raise the funds to go. And so I was working hard all through high school with, um, I was a TGI Fridays waitress for many years wearing flair. Um, but basically, you know, what did I do? You know, I looked for things that would be crossover. When I think about a social worker being a people helper and the type of roles that they had, that's the kind of experiences I looked for. So peer mentorship, um, there was peer mediation. If I could be uh, a counselor or like during the summer, anything that was people related um, that would build like a resume or kind of go towards that experience of just being with people um, and helping in that way. That's what I was looking for in high school. So if you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be a doctor, 
you're going to be a physical therapist, social worker, you, you name it. There's a lot of different things you can do that you need to have people skills. And yeah, I mean, the soft skills are so much more important. You're going to go to college, or you might go to graduate school and get licensed in these particular um, skills. But ultimately, your soft skills of working with people and understanding how to work as a team and follow direction. I mean, you need that now. And so you should be doing that right away. Yeah, I wanted to be a lawyer and I waited tables because I, I thought lawyers were the ones in front of the courtroom arguing. I later found out that's a small percentage, mm -hmm. but I needed that gift of gab. My son, uh, he's going to go into some form of business. He worked at the front counter of a restaurant. And mm -hmm. I and one summer, it was a sophomore year. He went in kind of quiet and introverted. He came out with the gift of gab. And if mm -hmm. he hadn't had those, those that experience, he wouldn't be prepared for business. So you you were a little bit more focused than some. You were making your equation. If you're listening to the to the podcast right now, you can think of whatever you want to do for a living. You may be right. You may be wrong about where you end up. And and Danielle didn't end up uh, a social worker. She ended up in a completely different area, but she was doing what it took to go down that path. And you can change paths. So you're fully prepared for whatever you want to do. You can change paths and you're going to be pretty prepared for that because you're doing the crossover um, jobs that you're talking about. That's fantastic. So you're in high school, you've got this goal. I wanted to be a lawyer, you wanted to be a social worker, the complete opposites, by the way. <laughs> and if you wanna be a lawyer listening, I'm very sorry that I'm always so negative about lawyers, they deserve it. So uh, you wanna go into social work and then you start into college and somehow you ended up not doing social working and you ended up doing something different that involves a lot of those skills, but what's the path to moving into uh, finding executives for other companies? How do you go from high school, doing these jobs at Teach High F, wearing your flair, uh, and then somehow end up in a business role uh, identifying talent? So what was your path and what did you do throughout high school and college to kind of find that path? And it's not follow it, it's find it, right? It's finding it, it's making it, it's recorrecting it. I think there's always this misconception that you have to find your one true calling, find your one true love. We love that finality of it. But so I think I went to University of Illinois, I had a wonderful experience there. I went in as a associate, well, I started as a psychology major, but I did not want to learn parts of the brain. If you're in a major where if the psych 101 class, basically you wanna poke your eyeballs out, change your major right away. So I went from studying the brain to sociology, which was people groups. Why do people do what they do? What's the general behavior? So I studied sociology. I enjoyed it. Um, and I, I did this business internship. I did the College Works internship for a couple of years and really developed a lot of skills there that I, I knew were there, you know, being a strong communicator, being a people person. Um, I wasn't afraid of the hard work, but that internship was such a blessing. Not only, I mean, the, the number one reason why I signed up to do that internship, money. I needed to pay for school and waiting tables, great, does not pay that well. And so I was like, I'm, I'm going to take a calculated risk and put the work in. It was a good, it was a great investment for me. You know, obviously the money was good, but it's the skills. Find an internship. Do something that's going to be out of the box. I mean, if you can't and you're doing the other type of jobs, maybe there's something during a school year, whether it's with a professor or being an assistant or in a lab or something that just 
gives you more exposure, um, extracurricular activities, those things like just find the passion points, right? So I did the internship, that was good. I graduated college at 21. Honestly, you know, if you're a sociology undergrad or you're a liberal arts undergrad, you not much you can do with just a bachelor's. You need to go and do graduate work. But at 21, I'm sitting here going, I don't have the money to pay for grad school. Social workers don't get paid that much realistically. So I'm not going to take out an $80,000 loan to go do a graduate program. And honestly, at 21, Matt, what do I know to be a good qualified people helper? I still felt really ill-equipped. At 21, it's like, you know, so I just said, you know what, I'll do, I'll probably be a people helper. I'll do my formal master's at some point, but I'm going to press pause. So I was given an opportunity then post-college um, to work at this company at that time called Empire Works Community Painting. And I had an option to move to Texas or Vegas. I chose Vegas because I'd never been to either, but who's going to visit me in Texas? I was like, I'll go to Vegas. So I moved to Vegas at 21 and I really enjoyed the business and the corporate world and that sense, like the entrepreneurial aspect of it. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of like the college piece. It's just transformed, if you will, from I want to do this particular job, but then it's like I just zoomed out and said, what parts of the job really, what drew me to the job? It's not necessarily the job itself. There was aspects to it. Are you enjoying the show thus far? We go through so many resources and links with this podcast, it's tough to keep up. I get it. That's why Matt and the rest of the team put together the Edge of Excellence Bundle. In it, you'll find different tools that relate to overarching themes and topics of the show. Things like disk assessment tools, time management strategies and tactics, stress and anxiety management tools, exclusive videos and episodes from this podcast that is not released anywhere else, and so much more. The best part? As a valued listener of this show, you can access the Edge of Excellence bundle 100% for free of charge. That's right, for simply being awesome and tuning in. To get access, all you have to do is go to www.collegeworks.com podcast and fill out the short form there for us to get the bundle over to you. Once again, it's www.collegeworks.com podcast. Now, back to the show. So I have always wanted to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. And my, my dad was a teacher. Uh, and, you know, that sounds perfect for me. And one day, and I already know what I'm going to be, I'm going to be a fourth grade substitute teacher because that's the perfect age. Uh, but I've always wanted to be a teacher. And I look at myself and I say, what do you do for a living, Matt? Oh, guess what? I'm a teacher. Mm-hmm. I happen to have a different title. I happen to be in a different pay scale, but if you break down what I do, I teach executives how to be executives. I teach middle managers how to be middle managers. I even get deep down and dirty with interns. And I'll tell you, it's my favorite thing to do. Like I spend at least a couple hours a day on the phone with someone in our internship role, which, you know, that's many levels down from the CEO role because I love it and I love being a teacher. So you have the same sort of experience. You want to be a social worker. It's going to take more school. It's going to take a bunch of time. But really, when you break it down, what is it that you want to be? You want to help people find their answers, right? You want to help I want, people. I, I want, 
people to perform well and I want people to live their strengths in a really well, in a really strong way. Like when I, when I led my team, when I lived in Las Vegas and I had direct reports in, in that fashion, if my employees were doing well personally and professionally as a company, we flourished. So to me, me caring about them and coaching them to be really good at what they did benefited me and it benefited the whole organization. And so in the end, that's what a, that's what a people helper does. So I just translated it. You know, I've been with uh, Empire for 15 years now. My role has continually changed. Uh, I'm very grateful for that. It's I know I'm in a rare setting as to be somewhere so long. Um, and part of that is, is that my role has has evolved to match my strengths, what I'm interested in. And then also as what the company is needed, I've tra like transformed into that. So now my role is I'm a director of corporate development and I do talent acquisition. What's, uh, you know, corporate development, I joke, that's the catch-all title for a variety of projects that no one wants to do, but that's really our social media rebrand of things, just a little bit of everything. And then the talent acquisition, that would probably go under human resources. So we think about HR. Uh-oh, you're going to get reported to the HR person. You know, the way we, when we hear the HR term. But HR, human resources, really encompasses a wide variety of what roles they have in a company, depending on if it's a small company, if it's a large company. You know, if you're a large company, you're going to have one person and all they do is talk about insurance and benefits, and you're going to have, you know, the person who's doing uh, maybe discipline and diversity training, or they're going to be doing um, really specialized roles in a medium or a small company. That's where your HR generalists shine. Uh, what I do really well is I do talent acquisition. And so that's essentially a recruiter, if you will. So I recruit amazing people to come work for the company. And pretty much the skills and what that really involves is it's, it's looking at different candidates and trying to figure out if we're a good match for them and vice versa, are we a good match for them? And it's really that dance between, yes, they want a paying job, but are, is the role that they're going to be doing something that they could get excited about? I say to candidates, I say, I always tell them, I say, I'm good at sales and oftentimes I'll hire for salespeople. And I say, I know you're probably really great at sales too, but we cannot convince each other now that we have a good match because if we don't, it's unfortunate for everyone if people aren't honest in the interviewing process. And so when I talk to a candidate to join us, I want to make sure that whatever they're doing role-wise, 80% of the job is stuff that they would enjoy or that they're naturally suited for. If you're a person who um, loves being out in the field, you're very tactile, you want to feel things, see people, be out, and you're chained behind a desk five days a week, you are going to hate that role. And so I'm listening to see for candidates how they describe their way of being and who they are and what gets them excited. And I got to figure out, is that a good match for us? Because I want to avoid turnover. I don't want them to not like their job. I don't want to have to hear that they got fired in six months because it was not a good fit. So uh, a good analogy too is if, if, you, if you've read the Harry Potter books, I'm like the sorting hat. I'm trying to figure out as I talk to people, are they a good match for where they might fit within the organization? So that's talent acquisition. And sometimes I, I kind of question myself, you know, I, I have the mental health background. I did get my master's. I did that. And I say, oh, I'm not practicing. Why aren't I practicing seeing clients daily, like individual practice? 
But ultimately, I hear people's stories. I get to, I just, I'd say, tell me about yourself. And I get to hear about their story and then hopefully get them matched or not match. When I tell them a no, it's really oftentimes in their best interest. If we weren't a good match for them, I know on the candidate side, it's hard to hear a no. No one likes to get rejected, if you will. But I often tell them to trust the process, trust the recruiter or the acquisition person that they know that maybe as the company, they weren't good for them too. So, and there's there's people on this call, the majority of them, I mean, on listening to this podcast, yeah. that they don't know what's out there. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't even know what a social worker is. They know of a very limited grouping of jobs. And for for example, myself, I wanted to be a corporate lawyer. I didn't know what a corporate lawyer was. I just knew that they made a lot of money and that people like that title. And then when I dug down to it, it's the exact opposite of who I am. And I could never do that job really, really well because the the building blocks of that job are not in my wheelhouse detail orientation, perfection in writing and speech, just not my gig. So you've got people in there that want to help people. You've got people that don't understand that there's many ways to help people. They think I want to be a psychiatrist. What about a social worker? Okay, I want to be a psychiatrist or a social worker. What about uh, a talent acquisition agent? Well, what's that? Mm -hmm. So you wanted to help people. You thought you were going down the right path. Uh, You want to help people um, perform at their best. Mm-hmm. So instead of sitting in a counseling session with them for an hour over many months, an hour a week, an hour a month, whatever it is to help them perform at their best, you're having conversations with them about what their desires are, where they want to go. You're matching them up with different companies and you've figured out kind of an out of the box way to help people and help them perform their best. Yeah, I think that's a one side. If you're a student or if you're a graduate, you know, one great resource is the Occupational Outlook Handbook. It's a government agency, and I'm sure Matt will cite it in the notes, but it's a great website that categorizes every single job imaginable. And you could even search it based on projected growth, average pay scale, what degree you have. So that's a really great federal resource. It's a database. It's free and it's fantastic. But um, back to the to the question about, you know, how did, how did I even land in this role? I talked about doing a role you should be doing 80% of, you know, everyone's going to have parts of their job that you don't like. I don't like paperwork. I hate it all, but it's a natural reality of life. So a few years ago, a faith community that I was part of uh, used this book called Strength Finders by Gallup. And it's a great book. It's 20 bucks or so. And essentially, it looks at strengths. I mean, often in American culture, we're often looking at where our weaknesses are. Oh, I need to improve on this, this, and this. But it's our natural strengths and giftings. If we do more of them, we will succeed. If you have someone in the role and they're doing what they're great at, they're going to be amazing. And so for me, the strength finders wasn't a surprise to me. I took it later in my career, but it helped create just an affirmation and also a greater understanding of my narrative. My top five are communication, woo, connectedness, includer, and arranger. And so, you know, we hopefully have a career that's 40 years or so. So I don't think I'm going to be a talent acquisition for the next 30 years. I doubt it. Right. But I know that whatever I go to career-wise, if I'm not really in those strengths, then I'm just not where I'm going to really shine. I'm not where I'm going to feel like I am flourishing or I'm being excellent. If I'm 
constantly in strengths that aren't my natural ones, that's a hard place to be. And that's why I'm not a lawyer. And you can take a disc test and look at it one way. You could take a strength finder test. But the idea is you have a grain. You're going a certain direction Mm -hmm. and people are different. And if you find a position that's aligned with your natural behavior, if it's disc or your natural strength, if it's strength finder, you're going to be happier. You're going to flourish. And the reason why I'm not a lawyer is because if I didn't spell a word right or I didn't use the right word, I would lose the case. If I was a coder, I would type up these letters for a week. And if I put one letter in, the code would be wrong. And with my personality type, and my strengths, that would cause me to pick up the computer and throw it out the window and quit. So I found a place where I can thrive. And I found it accidentally, just like you did. I tested myself after the fact, but people can test themselves ahead of time. Uh, And I believe it's strengthfinder.com. You go to strengthfinder.com. You can take the test without reading the book. You can get the you can get the book and it comes with a free test. Why not? You know, uh, if it's, I know everyone, there's got to be someone listening who's saying, especially when the topic of strengths come up, maybe you're, you're a college student right now, you have a strength. Every single person is created with strengths. Now, they might not be traditional strengths or ones that are celebrated. I mean, there's definitely strengths that are celebrated culturally and in the American way. But I guarantee you, everybody listening has specific strengths. So you have to just embrace those and get to know those. And in a few years, when you're interviewing for your first job, you're going to be light on experience. You're going to be either doing a Zoom or a phone call with someone like me. And I'm asking, tell me about yourself. And you're not really going to be able to say all the amazing things that you've done yet because you're 21, 22 and you know, you don't have that many years behind you, but you can tell me about how I'm really great at analytical skills or have great strategy approach, or I really feel like empathy is a strong gift of mine. And that's why it fits in this particular role. You have to be able to tell a narrative and knowing your strengths, what a gift that is for yourself to feel more confident But then also when you're presenting yourself to a company or if you're entrepreneurial and you need to present yourself in your vision, you might have an amazing idea, but if you can't communicate that amazing idea or to investors to really inspire them, then you're stuck, you know? So just really embrace just being able to tell a really strong narrative. If that's all you can do, you'll go pretty darn far. And Danielle is not saying, hey, sit on your butt and play video games. Danielle's not saying, hey, if you've never done anything in your life, it's going to be easy. We're assuming that if you're listening to this podcast, you're getting jobs. You're trying to get jobs. We're assuming you're trying to be excellent in your home life, in your personal life, in your school life, if you're out of school, in your work life. So we're assuming that you're doing what it takes and following the path. We're just trying to clear up where the path ends. And so the people on this call, the person that you're talking to, Danielle, has strengths, but maybe hasn't figured out exactly what they are or how to explain them. So Mm -hmm. you can go to strengthfinder.com. You can get the book. You can take the test and it'll help you understand what it is that's awesome about you and help you create that narrative. That's Mm -hmm. step one. Then you have to go find the jobs that meet that. So Danielle wanted to be a social worker found out that you could go into talent acquisition, sometimes called headhunting, and it's the same skill set. It's just a different business. And Danielle says, hey, you know, I'm going to be in a career for 40 years. It's not going to be this one. 
not because Danielle doesn't like this one, but because Danielle knows serendipitously something's going to come or come along and Danielle's going to say, hey, my skills apply to that, too. I'm going to jump over and do that. So you were a wannabe social worker. You went to college, worked your butt off, did an internship where you made a bunch of money, paid for college. The college works internship helped you see what skills you had. Then you went into the into the world and found out that you were an entrepreneur. You started a business in Vegas. You sold the business in Vegas. And then finally, on attempt number three, found a career that you love and that you're great at. Just so happens to be that you're great at this career for the same reasons you were great as an entrepreneur. You were great as a branch manager for College Works. You have empathy. You have a skill set of reading people. You want to help people, whether it's help them get a better paint job or help them find a better career. All of those are pretty close. You've just been working hard, kicking butt, achieving. One is finding your strengths. Two is constantly achieving. So when that opportunity pops up, you're the person for it because everybody knows, oh, Danielle works hard. Danielle does what she says. Danielle's got great empathy. Danielle's good with people. I think Danielle would be the best for this job. You can just say yes, and that would be good enough. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah, I, yeah. What's not right about that? No, I, I think you summarized it well, so I wasn't necessarily, I did not necessarily have a- uh, A comment, all right. Yeah. So uh, what did you do then? If we look at everything you've done, you've done very well. When did you decide that you were and, and you, you go back to high school, you said you were, quote, nerdy. I assume that means you were doing well in school. You went to the University of Illinois. I know it's hard to get into that school, so you must have done well. You went and got a master's. I know that's a difficult step, so you must have done well. When did you discover that you were doing pretty well? You're on the edge of excellence. And what did you do to stay? And what did you do to stay on that path? This is where my husband would say, I'm too humble. And so the idea of when did I realize I was excellent? Um, I've known that I, if I put my mind to something, I can be really great at it. I think I've always had that affirmation and that positive self-regard. So that's, I find that a real blessing that from a very early age, I felt pretty confident and a sense of control of things around me. Um, so that was a real asset. Uh, how do I continue to do that? I think just continuing to be open to how I would improve and how I would grow. I think that there are relationships and life stages that are humbling. I, I became a parent a few years ago, and that's a humbling experience too, because if you think you're great, then all of a sudden you're going to run slam into something that's really out. Even though I have all these, I have natural communication skills and empathy and, and these type of giftings, it's still hard now when you have tiny humans you're responsible for. So there are always, I think, life challenges. It should feel hard. It shouldn't feel painful, painful, but hard is a good thing. I remember doing the internship and it, if people give up, you know, giving up wasn't an option to me. I never thought that giving up was an option because you know why, Matt? I said to myself, if I quit this thing, quitting will always be, be easy. You quit one thing, it's easier to quit the next time. And so for me, you know, I just don't quit. I'm just gonna have at it and, and seek help from other sources. There, there's gotta be someone 
smarter than me, who's walked the path in a different way, who's going to give me perspective. You just keep trying. So you're going through life. You're confident, but humble. And I find most successful people don't think they're successful. Most successful people think they just got lucky. They, they don't realize, oh, Danielle, you worked harder than most people. Oh, Danielle, you had more jobs than most people. Oh, Danielle, you didn't watch TV eight hours a day, check Instagram four hours a day and make phone calls and texts for two hours a day. You did other things. So you had this path while you're humble. And I see this in a lot of people I interview and a lot of my friends. You're humble. You're following the path. You don't know where the path is going. You're achieving and you're open to improve and grow. So someone mm -hmm. with more knowledge comes in and says, hey, Danielle, if they say it bad. You should do this, Danielle. Or they say it right. Hey, Danielle, when I was your age, I had this experience. Maybe you can learn from it. It doesn't matter how they give it to you. You're open to improve. It doesn't matter if you're running a marathon, if you're in an Ironman, if you're starting a business when you're 20 years old in Illinois, you're not giving up. And I haven't heard that before. Once you give up once, it's easier to give up. It, it totally is easier. I mean, because then you just say, well, I've done it. I've given up before. And I just, that wasn't going to be part of my story. When I say, what's your story you want to tell? Giving up is just, no, that's a hard no. And as a talent acquisition person, people need to come to you. They need to understand their, understand their strengths and have that narrative. They need to understand what it is about them that's unique and have that narrative. And part of your narrative is I'm getting through it no matter what you throw at me. Got to make it a lot easier to get hired by whoever's hiring you if that's your narrative, right? Yeah. And I think that's a that's a good word of encouragement. If you are interviewing and let's just say you had some transitions, maybe a job didn't or you, you were tried an, an entrepreneurial adventure and something happened. You just have to be able to explain transitions. Per, most people make career changes or job changes because of the personal. Some, whether it's a death in the family or there's a, a nat, there's a huge event. I remember when I look at resumes and it's 2008, which was the housing bubble, I understand when I look at candidates at that window that that was, you know, so different life events are spurred on because of things that are happening circumstantially, but you do need to be prepared to explain them. You know, if you um, didn't, if you're actually, you know what, I was coaching a young student, a young graduate, and he's an engineer, and he did not have a GPA that was required on the job posting. And I said, you know what, you should still apply, but you need to be able to explain why such and such occurred. Just, you're going to have to just be able to explain it well. And well, I was lazy, doesn't count. I was really lazy in college and then this happened and I realized I'd blown it and now yes. I'm not lazy anymore and this is why I'm awesome for you. That's a different way of explaining it. Yep. So you talk a lot about communication skills. You talk a lot about um, being self-aware. You talk a lot about the narrative, knowing what your strengths are. And if you're listening to this and you're about to go look for a job, it would help you to sit down and figure out your strengths. It would help you to write out your narrative. It would help you to look at your resume and come up with some explanations of why things went well or why they didn't and explain it in a way that that person interviewing you could empathize and understand. Yeah, I mean, and just to give you some like insider thoughts of a talent acquisition person, if they're calling you, um, just 
you know, you have not a long period of time to make a positive impression. If you're, if you're, if you're sourcing, if you're looking at these resumes first, if they called you or emailed you, there had to have been something that stood out. So you have to find a way to stand out on paper. And then from there, then you have to stand out on the phone. And so it's just being prepared in that way. Okay. So when I look back or when you look back, at your high school and your college. First of all, you didn't come from a lot of money, so you had to figure out a way to pay for things. That's a sacrifice you probably don't re- don't regret. What other sacrifices did you make that you look back and say, thank goodness I made that sacrifice? So some of the sacrifices that I made, I think a lot of it stemmed from putting responsibilities first and fun second. Don't get me wrong, I had a ton of fun but I knew that there were certain responsibilities that just needed to come first. And so typically those are going to be family responsibilities and then working from a young age. And I'm glad I did those things. Work ethic. I do think that there might be an innate sense of work ethic, but for me, work ethic is a muscle. I mean, you either get stronger at it or you let it atrophy and sit around and get lazy. So part of it is, is I'm glad that I always put the work in and needed to be disciplined in that. Yeah, I I often wish I was with a friend of mine this weekend who him and his father developed a car collection and they had hundreds of cars. And I took a friend of mine's child who's really into cars. We went and looked at it and they've got the Duesenberg from Annie, little orphan Annie that Daddy Warbox drove. And I thought, hey, so-and-so, because I'm not going to say his name, I usually do, so-and-so. Your dad was Daddy Warbucks, and you even have the Daddy Warbucks car. And I've always been a little bit upset that my parents didn't earn billions of dollars and put me in some sort of position to spend it. Mm -hmm. But if I go back in time, really, that's not true. I'm really happy that I had to work. I'm really happy that I had to pay some bills. I'm really happy that I make my kids work and I make them pay some bills. And I know some people that grew up with a silver spoon in their mouth. Most of them are very humble. Most of them are very hardworking, and I don't know any that aren't actually. They all are kind of the same. They came from the same cloth. They had to go develop that work muscle. They had to figure out responsibility first. No matter where you come from, what background, if you're lucky enough to be wealthy or lucky enough to not be wealthy, you've got to go out and develop that that work muscle. So all that working that you sacrificed a trip here or there um, was worth it because you developed that muscle. All of the things that you did maybe seem stressful at the time, but you realized responsibility first. And you're saying that that was a big reason that you were able to be excellent in all these different careers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, you know, it might be harder too now. I mean, you do sacrifice even what you spend your then what you, you're going to earn money. And then what do you do with that? And there's, there's conservative things that you should be doing. There's their saving and there's funding businesses and that type of thing while your friends are posting about their fantastic vacations or spending their money in different ways. So it's always that, you know, pay off later kind of mentality. Are you willing to, what's that social science experiment? Where, Marshmallow experiment. Yes. I love that experiment. I, I, I think about doing it with my children. I don't know at what age you're supposed to do that, but yeah, you have to just hold out to get the more marshmallows. You got to hold out to get the more more marshmallows. Well, Danielle, you've been a leader in quite a few organizations, including the one I work in currently. You founded a business. You sold that business. You started another entity. And now you're telling us that maybe one day you might even start another business. Thank you so much for sharing your path to excellence, your ability to find excellence in all sorts of different places, your openness for learning, your openness for 
uh, identifying opportunities similar but a little different and for making time for us today on the podcast. Thanks, Matt. I hope you enjoyed that episode today on the Edge of Excellence podcast. Make sure to hit subscribe on whichever platform you're listening to this. If this episode made you think of someone, go ahead, take a screenshot and share this exact episode with them. This show exists to showcase what is possible when young leaders are willing to step out of their comfort zone and choose to excel in their lives. To learn more about our internship for young and ambitious students, www.oneinternship.com podcast to see if it's something that makes sense for you. Once again, it is www.oneinternship.com podcast. Let this be a reminder for you to live on the edge of excellence in your business and life. See you next time.